You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm well, David. How are you? How was your Christmas? It was nice. We just stayed home and uh, yeah, just had dinner here. We got to you know video video chat with all the grandparents and everybody. And uh, as my sister got me a high def webcam, so now I'm hi Emily. I'm in high def on YouTube now. You're sort of legit. Yeah. Unlike me, I'm I'm using my broken headphones from work. Is, do, you have, do you have a drink tonight? Oh yeah, that's right. I do. Uh, it's a local brewery in yeah. Alexandria, Virginia, here where I live. Um, the brewery is called Port City Brewing, and I am drinking their maniacal double IPA. That sounds pretty good. I, I don't got anything again, but I've what I've been drinking for uh, Christmas is a uh, choke cherry wine from a local uh, Mora, New Mexico winery. A choke cherry wine. They use choke cherry berries, and uh, they make a wine. Like as opposed to grapes. Yeah, yeah. You know that sounds great, and I would try it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what else was I going to ask you? Well, one thing is that I saw we actually had 50 downloads of the podcast. On on Spotify? Oh, it's from both. So it's on Spotify. It's on Amazon. I'm trying to get it on Google. Yeah. Interesting. I, that's where I'm like kind of like I am interested in what people's thoughts are because that I think you only put the first episode on, right? We, we have two now. So we have 11 downloads on uh, episode one, we're calling it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So real quick, before we get started, um, I, I am reading as well. I'm reading this. I, re- I finished this book called How to Change Your Mind. It's about the uh, past and future potential use of psychedelic mushrooms. And I started reading this very small book called The History of the Franks, um, yeah. which is about Dark Age France shortly after the fall of the Roman Empire. And it talks about the Merovingian kings taking over what is soon to become France. And it's going to be like the well, uh, hundred years that they ruled. What years? Yeah. What years is that? In in Western in I love Dark Age Europe. Um, by the way, yeah. so after Western Rome fell in roughly 476, within the next 20 years, this guy Clovis became what is today considered the first king of what would become France. Okay. Um, so it was before the year 500, and his family reigns from like 480 or 490. Um, he it may have been like a little bit after 500 where he took over a majority of France, but they reigned until pretty much Charlemagne, his family, yeah. you know, just kind of usurped power. And then Charlemagne went on to create the Holy Roman Empire and everything, but it all started with the Merovingians post-Roman, post-Western Roman Empire taking over France. Yeah, what I'm what I'm really trying to read on lately is figuring out what is what was the pagan Germanic religion like before Rome, before all of this, and how much evidence can we actually find for that? So I'm, I'm looking at a couple books on that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what's going to be really fun. And I'm using this podcast as the means to like force my hand in yeah. researching that stuff. So we should just force ourselves to do an episode on what was worshipped before the Roman gods, or something like that, or like yeah. shortly after the Roman Roman yeah. gods. I do know with with Clovis, well, it was it was pretty much yeah. the Rome, Rome was Christian, right? Once they were pushing things on you know Germanic peoples and further north and everything like that, weren't they already Christian, right? Yeah, they were. Um, I think it started with this. Uh, I'm, I'm not like, great with Roman history. I'm, I'm like, I like more so like post-Western Roman history. But I think Rome, the first Roman Empire was Constantine. And he was the one that pushed Christianity to the empire. Um, and I think like slowly but surely, like it just kind of became the adopted religion of the Roman Empire. And when they fell, what happened, you saw these barbarian tribes like the Franks, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, take over what was part of the Western Roman Empire, but then they needed to, I think I may have mentioned this in episode 0.2, they needed to like legitimize themselves. So they got the Pope to like 
baptize them and like pro- proclaim them as king. So like the people yeah. that they took, they, they pretty much conquered would be like, all right, well, fine, whatever. It's the same thing. It's just, at least our, our king is a, uh, is a Christian baptized by the Pope. Well, but so then like you were like, no. talking about the previous episodes, right? They were trying for their people. They were trying to prove that they also descended from either Odin or some stuff. As we get you know, up to the Icelandic, and I'm sure the Norway as well. Yeah. And, and that's where this book is. That's where I, I really want to like figure out the lineage of this guy Clovis, because if you look at the Anglo-Saxon kings, the monks like later said that, well, all the Anglo-Saxon kings were descendant of Odin, yeah. um, but then they humanized him, as I mentioned, because they obviously are Christian. So there's only one God in their minds. And with Clovis in the Franks, I don't really know what they practice. It probably was something similar to like the Germanic religions, like similar to yeah. Norse mythology. I, I got a book that's on both the, it's on the Celtic, the Germanic and the Norse kind of the Christian history. So I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but I just got it in the mail. Well, that's pretty cool. We'll what, what's the book on? What's the book called? Uh, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I haven't read it yet. So <laughs> I can't remember. But, um, you know, I, I also had, we'll, we'll have to talk more about your book. You mentioned on the, the psychedelic mushrooms, because I want to talk more about, we'll have to write an episode on shamanism and altered states of consciousness and how, and that'll tie into what we're talking about today, the, the nine realms and this whole idea from, from the Norse, right? Because that's something that'll be yeah. about, but we're not prepared on. And, and like, if you, if you're just like, if you're very new to like studying Vikings or in like Norse mythology, you're always going to like come across an article talking about the, the berserk or the berserkers who are these warriors of Odin. And like a lot of people are like, oh, well, they, they took these magic mushrooms and they like got themselves into a trance and then they went into battle, which based on what I've read about psychedelic mushrooms, that's impossible for them to run into battle. But like, I could be wrong. No, that's the thing. It does tie into it thing. doesn't have to be through psychedelics, right? Was it just things they were doing like mentally, basically like meditation, like, you know, this religious experience, uh, putting themselves into an altered state. And uh, that would be a good episode. <laughs> episode 37 or something. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. we get there. <laughs> um, should we jump right into the nine realms? Or there, there was something else that I was, as I was reading, that addressed something you brought up in a previous episode. I don't know if we should wander there. We, we can do whatever. I did have one correction yes. from okay. the last episode that people may have, may never listen to anyway. In discussing the creation myth with Niflheim and Muspel, and then in between them, you have the, the dawning void, Ganungagap. I mentioned that Muspel is in the south, Niflheim is in the north. Although there are sources that say Muspel is in the south, when you look at what becomes of the world tree Yggdrasil and the other worlds, there's no, I don't think there's any sources that say Niflheim is in the north. On the contrary, there's a lot of sources that claim that Niflheim is in the south, you know, below one of the roots of Yggdrasil. So when you compare Muspelheim and, or Muspel and Niflheim, the fact that Gap is in between them could mean that they were anywhere, really. And so like what eventually becomes Yggdrasil in the nine worlds, and I'm doing this in quotes for a reason because we don't know what the list of nine worlds is. It could have been anywhere, but Niflheim was not necessarily in the north. And I did mention briefly, and the reason I want to mention this now is because we are going to be discussing Asgard, um, Vanaheim, and Jotunheim, which are inhabited by the Aesir, the Vanir, and the Jotun, or the, the Frost Giants. I mentioned that Odin is part giant. He's actually 25% giant. He's Excuse me, he's 25% Aesir and then 75% giant. And one of the points that I've kind of understood more and more in research for this episode is that if you look at the Vanir, Aesir, and the Jotun, they aren't necessarily like, they may not be different species. They often intermarry and produce offspring. I kind of look at them as different tribes from different places. Yeah. 
Um, so I've, been, I've been reading the uh, the Viking Spirit book. Is it McCoy, the author of that? Oh yeah, Daniel McCoy. I, I have read that. It's really good. I'm, I'm in the middle of that. And it's interesting because I read some reviews that said that he, almost like he's biased, I guess, or not exactly biased because he actually quite often says like, like you're saying, there's all these different sources. You really can't say what it is for sure. And I, it's something I don't think about his style. I don't think, I'm not sure why, because he's frequently saying there's so many different sources, right? You just can't say what it is, right? He's saying like definitively, you don't get to say what it is, right? Where I'm, I'm reading a different book and the guy says, this is what I think it is. I think it should be this because it makes sense to me, right? And so those are two different approaches to take, right? Being like, no one gets to say, or you, you decide what it is, right? We're going to say what we kind of think it is, right? It sounds like you take the approach a little bit, like you really can't say where I'll say what I think it is, right? So that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been like two or three years since I've read um, McCoy's book. I, I do recall like in, before each story, he does like say where the sources come from, and he like says, "Oh, in this one, it actually comes from both the poetic poetic Edda and the prose Edda." Yeah, um, and he brings in some other great sources. Yeah, like I, I really like his book. It's there's something about his style. I, I did sources like sources I never heard of. Yeah. Yeah, but I did like at the beginning where he gives his like breakdown of like the gods, like the worlds and everything. Yeah. And like, I think he goes into like, like maybe elves and dwarves, but I did kind of like that he, in speaking about Odin, says like, yeah. there's no god of anything really. But if I had to put something yeah. like, uh, like as some, something to describe Odin, it would be the god of being a human to like right. the extreme degree. And that's like something I kind of like took from that book and his yeah. description of Odin, because it actually makes sense. And I actually look at the the sources and when Odin is brought up, I look at it through the lens of him having like this existential crisis that a human would have. Yeah. He's very um, complicated, right? He is very human. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I, but I think it's a good book. Like getting back to a Viking spirit, I, I would recommend uh, Daniel McCoy's book. It's like very simple, but he also like gives enough of the the background behind what yeah. we have in the stories. The other, the other book I got is a uh, Norse mythology by John Lindau, who I think is a professor at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. And it's a great one where you can look up any word, like you're just talking about the, the Jotun, right? And, and then it'll tell you where in the prose edda or the uh, poetic edda, it gives great citations. So if you're just kind of like, I heard this word, you know, a doomla, right? And then where does that come from? It's like a little dictionary. <laughs> then the issue is knowing how to spell it. Um, well, and that's, <laughs> yeah, you're saying, so you're saying the, the Jotun is the giants, but yeah, I've read it as well about why it's calling them giants isn't as accurate. Um, when I read it, I'm, well, in my head, I'm calling them the Jotun. So I'm, I'm glad you get, you're getting <laughs> better. And that's what Jay reminded me. Um, Got to give credit to Jay that it is uh, Alex Trebek was yeah. real particular about it's a uh, it's Wagner. It is not it is not Wagner's uh, opera. It's, it's Wagner. And so I'm going to be uh, pretentious about that, too. That's fine. You can I, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce like any like most yes. of the words that that are from the old text. So it, it's OK. Funny note on the Yonar, I am watching through Jackson Crawford's uh, series of lectures on Norse mythology on the great courses. Yeah. And he, in, in something consistent in every video, when he's referring to the giants or the Yonar, he just calls them anti-gods. Yeah. And that's also a good word for it. And he, and I think this is something new he's done because I've been watching his YouTube videos for a long time, but he just refers to them as anti-gods and he thinks that's like the best way to describe them. You well, know, one of the, the things series. I saw, I think it makes sense, right? To clarify that they're, they're like the gods, they're, they're, similar in, in some ways to the gods right there. It's not like, because I was seeing, probably, it probably wasn't McCoy's book about, uh, it's not like the giants from the Greeks. The giants and the Greeks were completely different kind of things. Uh, they weren't godlike. No, I'll let, I'll let you dive into that in a minute. The one, this is the one thing that as I listened back to us, I was, and then reading about and thinking about. So you had said that idea of the, the rebirth after Ragnarok, right? Mm -hmm. That maybe that's a Christian idea of, of rebirth being a thing that's Christians would want to put that idea in there saying like, oh yeah, the Norse myths were just talking about ideas we already know to be true from Christianity. 
And then I read a an alternate perspective, which says that they, you know, when they were writing these some some of these Norse myth, myths down, they wanted to say that Ragnarok happened. So the Norse, your Norse gods died, they all killed each other. And now here's our Christian God is left surviving. So you know, you could you can talk all you want about your Norse gods, but they killed each other. So you can't be worshiping them anymore, they're gone. That would mean Ragnarok doesn't have a rebirth, that it, it ending is a Christian idea. So I, I wanted to see if you have any thoughts on that or if I'm just going all over the place. Yeah. No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, it, it's funny that like you mentioned, you bring that up because a lot of, I, I, I heard from one podcast one time where it was at the History of Vikings podcast by this guy, Noah Tetzner. And he had this guy, this guest speaker who wrote this book. It was the first book in the series called the, it, like a series called the Viking verse. And in this series, the first book was called the all father paradox. And in this book, Odin's real, he is alive in 2015. And he decides to go back in time and change the course of history to where the Norse gods are like widely or like we're consistently practiced. And by like modern day, like 2020, they have already, we've already like reached the stars and like we're exploring Yggdrasil. Like, but he, he talks in talking about his book, he talks about the idea of Ragnarok and how Ragnarok is literally Christianity winning. Yeah. And so it is, it is funny because like if, if you want to look at it from a Christian lens and say like, well, you know, the Norse gods are dead and you know, they're, they're done. Like there's some of the Norse gods survive, but like, you know, those are just like the lasting, like, you know, figments of what was something, but now like Christianity is the religion that you really want to follow. And the great news with Christianity is that if you're good, you get eternal salvation in heaven or something like that. So that's, right. that's, like that's you get, an interesting you get into thought. Valhalla without having to kill yourself in battle, right? That's kind of like maybe a way to angle it, right? Just... Yeah, exactly. So, so it's very interesting, but like it, it's hard to say if you're a priest that's trying to convert a population that worships Germanic, the Germanic pagan religions, you know, how would you get them to, to come over? It's like, well, Ragnarok, you're going to die, but like, it actually kind of already happened, died Ragnarok, but Ragnarok already happened. Our God is great. You can go to heaven to like receive eternal happiness or whatever. Also, here's some money. And if you just convert, I'll baptize you and throw some water on you, like and, things like that. And, yeah. well, and the reason I want to what this, they could have said, towards this idea I want to build to eventually is the idea of the great myth. What is the mythology that's, you know, shared under so many cultures? Because the Stoics, if you actually look at their their cosmology or their belief in the universe, um, the Greek Stoics. So they were actually, you know, pagans before Christ and they were writing, right? So that's where the, the Norse practicing paganism never really wrote until the Christians showed up and taught them how to write. Was, yeah. And I think by that point, they were already converted to Christianity. Right. I'm not sure how like widely writing things down like was done. Because right, they, they, had, but... they had the runes, but it was a different type. Of, it's not really recording things the way, certainly not the way like the, the Greek Stoics were. So the Stoics view of the universe is that it's a constant like conflagration, that there's this, like a big bang, a giant fireball, which becomes the universe, and then it all contracts again, and then it does it again, and then it does it again, and it expl- you have a big bang, and then the big crunch, and the big bang, right? So that's what we actually kind of think about science now, and somehow the Greek Stoics figured this out, you know, 500 BC, as like their theory of, they think this is what happens, right? And so anyways, I'm th- and I think that's what the Norse are saying with Ragnarok, and then it's so like, and then Ragnarok it- is the big crunch, and then, but the rebirth right. is expanding Right. And it's, you know, I don't know why that makes sense, right? But that's what science tells us. So let's go with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's interesting that the Greek Stoics said that because like that's probably yeah. what is actually happening. Like the right. universe at some point is going to stop expanding and then just like collapse in on itself. So that that's interesting. I didn't know that, but. Yeah. So this is the idea of what, what did the yeah. religions believe, right? Maybe, maybe that. Well, that's one of my theories. So. Yeah. But now that's, that's really cool. Um, one, 
one last thing that I wanted to mention from last episode. In the creation myth, I mentioned Odin and his brothers, Vili and Vey. They found these two pieces of driftwood um, that they they built into the first humans, Ask and Embla, who like live on Midgard and they're just like all humans can trace their lineage back to Ask and Embla. That's from the Prosetta. In the Poetic Edda, however, in Volspa, and I did know this when we did the episode, but I forgot to bring it up. It's not Odin, Vili, and Vey that found these pieces of driftwood to create Ask and Embla. It's Odin, this god Honir, and then the other one is Lothar or Loth or something like that. And they're the ones that that create Ask and Embla. And in, in the Poetic Edda, it does not mention them as brothers. But I thought that was very interesting because that's like one big part of Norse mythology where the Prosetta, Snorri's Prosetta, directly conflicts with what is being said in the Poetic Edda. And I wanted to bring this up for this episode because we are going to be discussing Vanaheim and the Vanir. Honor, who was with Odin when they found Ask and Embla, is a part of this swap, this truce after the Aesir-Vanir war. The Aesir give the Vanir, Honar, and um, Mimir. And the, the Vanir give the Aesir, uh, this guy North, who's like one of the gods of the sea. And so I thought that was very interesting um, in discussing the relations between the Vanir and the Aesir. But let's, let's, let's explain that because I think I'm, I'm thinking of people watching because I know, I know what all those different words are, but they don't, but that's what we're explaining today. Right? Oh, sorry. I can, I, I do this often. What, what yeah. needs to be explained? Oh, no, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the Aesir and the Vanir and what all these, all these are. Right? Maybe people have talked about it. I'm pretty sure we did. The Aesir are the gods, and the Vanir are also yeah, another gods. tribe of gods that intermarry yeah, with yeah. the Aesir. But yeah, that's that's all I had. We can get started. I will try to give a good rundown of the nine worlds. The nine worlds are listed in the Poetic Edda, as in the words, the nine worlds like are a thing. But there is no list of the actual nine worlds in Norse mythology, like whether it be the Poetic Edda or the Prosetta or any other sources. So any any list that you find online, and Daniel McCoy who wrote Viking Spirit has one on his website, Norse Mythology for Smart People, a list of the nine worlds that like that's based on his interpretation of it. But there's no actual list in the old sources of these nine worlds. And you'll like in researching for this episode, I found out that a lot of the what people think are the nine worlds, a lot of them are the same places and we really can't account for what they are. But I'm going to run through them. One of them is Midgard. So this is Earth. That's where Ask and Embla and all future generations of humans live. It's surrounded by Ymir's eyelashes. Ymir is the first god in the creation myth. And it's circled by Jormungandr, who is one of Loki's children, who is going to be one of the beings that is fighting for the giants at Ragnarok. Does he surround the nine realms or he just surround Midgard? I want to say it's just Midgard. I can't remember. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I think I think it's... Like, it, like, I think it depends on the source, but I think outside of the, whatever world he circles is like Joden, Jodenheim. Um, but I could be wrong. That could be something I look into. But I know he he's he's so large that he like sur- he can sur- he surrounds the entire like Midgard or yeah. Earth, and he like eats yeah. his own tail. He's that big. But there's like also some stories where Thor like almost catches him on a fishing pole. So it's it's one of those things where the size of beans can like right. vary based on how, how tall is Thor if he's doing that, but. Yeah, and how tar how how giants are the giants? Like, you can create the universe out of Ymir, but sometimes the giants are the same size as like Thor. Cool. So the other one's Asgard, the realm of the gods. Grimness. This poem, Grimness Ball, which I read in preparation for this episode from the Poetic Edda, mentions Bifrost and how Bifrost seems to be the tool to travel between Asgard and some of the realms. But a lot of the times you'll see in the stories, Odin just rides down Yggdrasil on his eight-legged horse Sleipnir. So that's another inconsistency depending on how they travel. But like like in the Marvel universe, you'll see that the Bifrost is used for 
the North for the Aesir to travel wherever. So we have Vanaheim, which is supposedly the home of the Vanir, another race of gods. These guys, these guys are more so the gods of fertility, which I know you mentioned in your notes. So the gods of like reproduction, this also applies to farming. If you're hoping for a good harvest one year, like that might be where the Vanir gods come into play, but they're, they're supposedly from Vanaheim. You have the Jotun or the anti-gods or the giants um, from Jotunheim. Then you have Niflheim, which we discussed in the first episode, which is the world of ice and uh, poison rivers. And it's one of the primordial worlds along with Muspel, which is the fifth, fifth world here, which is the primordial place of fire, lava fields. And that's where the, I guess, fire giant is the best way to describe him. Sert dwells and he's always hammering his sword like in preparation for Ragnarok. Um, in Voluspa, the, the poem from the Poetic Edda, that's where it mentions Muspel is in the south. And I incorrectly assumed that means Niflheim was in the north, as I mentioned earlier. So then you have Alfheim, which is apparently the home of the elves, which there's very, very little on this in any of the sources. There's actually a funny note that I'll get to, I'm sure, at some point in this episode in regards to Frey, which is a Vanir god. Then we have the home of the dwarves, which is, depending on the source, either Nidaveller or Svaltalfheim. And then lastly, you have Hel which is where a large portion of the dead go. And it's ran by another one of Loki's children, Hell. Um, And you saw her played by Kate Blanchett in the MCU Thor Ragnarok movie. But that's that's what a lot of people think are the nine worlds. You have Midgard, Asgard, Vanaheim, Jotunheim, Niflheim, Muspel, Alfheim, Nidaveller, and Hell. Because that, that's the same list I'm going with. So I like it. I, yeah, I like the I like the Spark Alfheim. I'm saying it right because it's just the Dark Elves versus Light Elves, which is an interesting idea, even though they don't really use it much. Was it the uh, Prosetta made that distinction? But otherwise, it's like never mentioned. Yeah, I I want to say, and this is where like I there's like some one thought that I had when reading was: Are the Elves and the Dwarves different? Are the Dark Elves actually the Dwarves? Right. And it's, it's very interesting when you think about it. I think one story that, that Snorri Sturluson had in the Prosetta, he actually mentions both the Dark Elves and the Dwarves, so maybe not. But the Dwarves are, in, like, in reading about the Dwarves and the Elves, there's a lot that says maybe they are the same race. Or if there are Light Elves and Dark Elves, maybe there's like a, like a closely, maybe they're, like they're closely related, similar to like the Aesir and the Vanir and the Jotun. Yeah. If that makes sense, and I know yeah. you made a note about that right. with the light elves and the dark light elves and the dark elves. That's that one of the things I, I, could, I could talk a bit. Basically, the the book um, Echo of Odin I think did a pretty good job of collecting everything that could be said about the light elves, right? If you really want to make a justification for why it's useful to think of them, but they're really not in most of the stories, right? They're kind of just concept, but not really used in any of the myths, so it's less important. But maybe if we want to do an episode on one, could right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and one funny thing that I. That I came across. A lot of people think that like the idea of like elves or dwarves in Norse mythology are why like a lot of countries in Scandinavia are like so obsessed with trolls. I think mm-hmm. trolls are just like um, an evolution of what elves and dwarves were. Well, one thing I saw said that the trolls were maybe at one point conflated with the Jotun, and then it became clear that they were oh, interesting. at some point. Yeah, then maybe they're actually from a, a Jotunheim. <laughs> maybe that's one thing that we that we lost yeah. throughout the ages maybe all yeah. of the races are exactly the same well it's, they're all just different tribes or something i mean that's there's all kinds of interesting things right if yeah if odin was kind of a person but he had the magical power of uh, becoming a god or as people lost their magical power they're no longer godlike they're human that's something we could go there but um the other thing one thing uh this just came to me today while i was reading mccoy was talking about um, nature spirits so this would be something else that's in midgard is that there are nature spirits out in different realms, the earth, different countries, when you go go places. 
there's nature spirits there. And he said that's something that was he talked about in like in history and the way people actually acted, you know, that there'd be like a a region and they would go there because somebody had been murdered and it upset the nature spirits and just don't go there. And there was a law that you have to take the dragon head off your boat because you'll scare the nature spirits when you come to land. And so it's like it's a thing they believed, but I don't think it's in the myths as much. It was like in some laws. though. Well, again, that's that's one of the fun things that I, I like to think about because yeah. we don't really know an answer of like what was actually, first of all, worshipped like in Scandinavia 1500 years ago, but like even today in today's world, I I, like five times at work every single day, somebody will say, yeah, we had a good quarter, you know, hopefully we continue this knock on wood. And it's like, obviously like knocking on your desk does nothing. I don't think, at least I I don't think we have no evidence that that it does anything, Um, but people still do that. Or like the whole thing of throwing salt over your shoulder. Yeah. If you believe it does, does it do anything? Yeah. But like, if you, if you go back 1500 years ago, I think it's like that to the nth degree where people like were superstitions or just like word of mouth can like build up this like monster 200 miles away that, Oh, we never want to go there because this monster like swallowed three ships whole. And it's like, you know, all of the souls are like burning in hell or like are in hell, the land idea, of hell, which yeah, isn't like the original, but no. And, and there's an idea that I, I certainly didn't prepare on, but it's why I like one of the potential titles was a mythos. It's the idea versus the, the logos, which is something kind of more logic rationality that the Greeks had that the Norse were just working on mythos, that that was how they, saw the world. The way we think of things logically, that was a, a foreign idea to them, right? If you don't have writing, you likely probably don't, haven't learned things like logic, right? But you have oral stories and these stories that are told to you and you make sense of the world, right? So that's what we're talking about, these nine realms, and where I want to go probably in the, the next half of the episode, right? Is how that's their understanding of why people do what they do, why the world works the way it does, right? Any of the realms you wanted to like dive into as we talked, we outlined what the nine are. We've already talked about so one of the things too, in the, the book I like, it divides them into three kind of tiers of the realms. So there's a Niflheim, which is the cold kind of underworld. Muspel is the hot fire underworld. A hell is where the dead are. Yeah. And then range, right, is where the, the dark elves, the uh, the Jotun, and the Midgard is. Right? So that's kind of more like Earth. Right? It's a middle range. And then there's more the kind of heavenly realm, which would be things where the gods are Asgard, uh, the Vanaheim and the uh, the light elves. Oh, interesting. So it actually has like the I, the el- the elves in that like upper tier. Yeah, and the dwarves in the middle one. And that's partly and, for you know I think some of this author admits like that's their way to like to think of it. There's probably some arguments for it, some arguments against it, right? But if you think about the tree, right? There's the roots of the tree. There's the trunk. And then there's the branches up high in the heavens, right? Mm-hmm. That's where if you think about where these things lie. He said north, south. How does any of that even make sense when we're not even talking about Earth anymore, right? But at least maybe they're in these three different tiers of the tree, right? Because they talk, do talk about there's the uh, there's the roots of the tree, though. It includes some of the roots are actually in the middle range, and there's uh, serpents eating the roots, and the roots are in wells that are sources of knowledge and, and uh, wisdom and all of this. So. Yeah, and this is where, like, again, it, like I, I hate to like just like bum everybody out, but like this is where <laughs> I'm like, looking at everything. Li- <laughs> That's my job to bum everyone out. Great. Um, like if you look, if you hear about like you just from the sources beneath like certain roots, there's like certain wells. There's like where that's where the Norns live. In one poem, um, Grimnismal, which I mentioned earlier from the Poetic Edda, it specifically mentions that under the three roots of Yggdrasil, so you could assume you could like kind of think about it as the southernmost places are Hel, Jotunheim, and Midgard. And so even Earth in Grimnismal is like below 
one of the um, one of the roots of Yggdrasil. But then if you like Google online, like what is the Norse tr- like tree or like the world tree Yggdrasil look like with the nine worlds? Like Midgard is always in the middle. Right. Um, it's, it's always tree. in the trunk part right. of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cosmic tree, so that a root can be coming out of the middle of it and going to a, a realm that it, it's all cosmic uh, spiritual energy or something, right? So. It's- yeah, and they, it's funny because like I've always like said, well, you know it's hard to tell what's up if you're actually in space. Like if you're looking at earth, you could say, oh, well, up is north. And like, we're maybe outside of space, right? We're maybe outside the universe that's outside of space, right? So, I mean, that's if we're really going to get technical about where things are, right? <laughs> yeah, because like there's, in like I, I was listening to a video today where Jackson Crawford, I, I don't think, I think it was either one of his YouTube videos or the Great Courses videos. He says, yeah, like the Norse probably didn't understand like what planets were. Like they knew they could see the sun and the moon, but they have their own like origin stories for how those those bodies came to be like there's there's it's very doubtful that like the mcu the marvel movies or the thor movies the uh, the nine worlds are different planets like the the north the norse just didn't think of that and so like that's where you like ask if it's like a state of consciousness is like another dimension or is it a part of earth that they just can't travel to because they don't have the way to think of it is another dimension maybe i think that makes more sense but and then my other favorite part is that there's an eagle in the tree there's the snakes at the bottom and there's a squirrel that sends messages of insults between the Ratatosk. Yeah. yeah My dog so would hate Ratatosk because she there, hates squirrels. Are there any stories about what the insults are about between the eagle and the, the serpents? I, I don't think there's any stories. I could be wrong. Uh, if anybody. That would be such a great that, fan fiction somebody to write. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that could be like, I think eventually when we run out of things to talk about, or if we just like go over the same things, we could just like do fan fictions, like for a Thumla. Like what happened to Athumla, and then um, we can maybe just talk about Ratatosk. Uh, yeah, why 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 is the eagle so mad at the serpents, and, and what are the uh, as Jay to write a couple jokes for? Yeah, and also if anybody doesn't know us and has actually listened to this, thank you for doing so, and thanks for getting this far into the episode. But like again, one of the things I am hoping to do with this podcast is to learn more and like learn what I don't know and to like understand what I don't know and learn and understand it better. If anybody needs to correct us, I am all for it. I'm sure we'll have like some place. That's to what Twitter's for. In the Twitter is yeah. for telling Sean why he's wrong. Again, we know that all of the sources say different things, but uh, tell Sean why he's wrong. Perfect. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a squirrel rat task. I don't think there's any stories. I just know he's like a, he's like a troublemaker. He's Woody Woodpecker. He just tries to like cause drama between people. There's, there is a dragon. I think you mentioned uh, or a serpent below yeah, called Nidhogg. The and they're slowly killing the tree, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say I, one of the sources says that like Yggdrasil is like consistently being like gnawed on by the serpents. I, I want to say the three Norns that I mentioned in one of our other episodes of season zero, like are trying the, to the, like the nourish it. Fate. Yeah. They're the weavers yeah. of fate and they're trying to keep, I think they were putting white paint on it to slow down the decay from these serpents trying to mess with them. And it's such an interesting thing. Like, is that a thing probably the Norse had to do? Like if they were farmers and they had an orchard, they had to keep their trees from dying. So they like this is, is the Norns are doing too. It is that scientifically like help trees stay alive, just white, like putting white paint there's, on them or there, yeah, there's something that saves it from certain things. I'm kind of not going to go. <laughs> well, that, that's great. The three Norns, they can control everybody's fate, humans, the gods, and they're great at like painting trees. Is he trying to keep this tree from dying? Right. Like, yeah, there's <laughs> enough else to do. So Sean, and let's see, we got 15 minutes. Let's go to some of the middle realms. So between Midgard, Jotunheim, uh, Spart Alfheim, which one, which ones, which ones do you feel the urge to, uh, to explore? Sure. Um, so wait, you mentioned, uh, um, Midgard, uh, Jotunheim and Spart Alfheim. Yeah, sure. So Jotunheim in, in like in Midgard's earth. Um, yeah, so it's just earth. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if, if you, 
if you like read the saga of the Volsungs or like the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, and then like a lot of the Icelandic sagas, the saga of the Greenlanders, like the Vinland saga, like all those obviously take place on earth. That that's Midgard. In the Norse stories, there's like in the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, there's like a few stories that involve that actually are that do take place on Midgard. I mentioned Grimnismal earlier, which is it's probably my favorite poem, along with Volspa in the Poetic Edda. And Odin and Frigg. And the reason I like it is because Odin and his wife Frigg directly get involved into this kingdom just for shits and giggles. And Odin gets taken captive by this king that he's he's eventually saved by the king's son. And then like Odin gives the kingdom to his son pretty much. But when the guy when the kid released when the son releases him, he like sort of goes into this trance where he like reveals himself and he like just starts spouting lore. And like that's like one of the ways we you we use the stories for world building. And he eventually like gives a list of like 40 names that people have called him. He's he like eventually starts talking about himself. And it's very similar to um the ending of the first season of the show American Gods. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Well, it's it's pretty cool. Um like it's it's my it's like one of my favorite excerpts where he just like consistently says his name, like who he is and like all the names that people have referred to him as. So that that's Grimness Mall. In another story, there's a there's a character. This actually features an elf. So I did want to get this when we get to the higher realms that you mentioned. This elf has like this revenge tour against this king of Sweden named Gilfi. Um, it shows up into Midgard for for this the story with Volans. What you were saying that there's a, there's an elf that. Is it actually happening in Alfheim, or is it an elf that shows up in Midgard and is? Oh, sorry. No, this elf. This elf is in Midgard, and yeah. he's like at this revenge tour against the king of Sweden. So you know, it's you know, it's on Earth. But like those, like these, these events do happen in Midgard, even like in some of the stories of the gods. But then, if you get into like the stories of the heroes, like the saga of the Volsungs, the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, and some of the other like Icelandic and Greenlandic sagas those all take place in Midgard. Jotunheim, you'll often see Thor in the stories just like fucking shit up. He has rivalries with the gods. He's well-known. Smiting giants. Yeah, that's his. Yeah, he, he gets into drinking contests with them. He gets into like these physical contests with them. And Jotunheim is pretty much where the gods live. And that's where like a lot of the stories do take place. And one of the things I think is cool about Jotunheim, and this is something I, I believe happens primarily in the Proceta, you'll see Thor going to these places and he starts to lose. So there's, I mentioned the story where Thor goes fishing and he tries to catch like the Midgard serpent, Jormungandr. In the Poetic Edda, that scene like last like two or three stanzas. It's like, oh, Thor went fishing, didn't catch anything. He came back. He didn't catch the serpent. In the pro set, it becomes this whole thing where Thor almost tries to capture Jormungandr to like prevent Ragnarok. And he puts like this ox's head on this fishing pole. He captures Jormungandr, which is apparently can wrap around the entire world, maybe even larger than that. And Thor becomes so strong that he almost like catches this fish or this this serpent. And it's like they say, oh, his foot went through the boat. It went to the bottom of the, the ocean and he like tried to pull himself up and he eventually doesn't catch the fish. And, you know, that's where you look at Snorri's Proceta and Snorri's a Christian. And it's like, this is a perfect way to say, oh, well, Thor was like a mammoth of a, a, a god, pretty much, but he he wasn't the one true god he lost, you know? And then there's like others, there's like another story where Thor fails in this drinking contest because this giant like put like magically put like all of the water in the universe into this like, magic, like a magic straw that connected it to the ocean. So he's 
trying to finish this drink and not realizing he's drinking seawater. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, that's very cool because like, that's another story where it's like, Oh, Thor, like he, he but he actually kind of like put a dent in it, but he didn't do it. Cause he can't do it. Cause he's just like, he's like an old, he's old news. And you, th- you think that's I'm thinking just as you're telling me the story, I'm thinking there maybe, I know it pretty much only happens in the Pacific ocean, but let's just say there was some type of tsunami where the, the ocean pulls back. Right. Like, or, you know, that's Thor. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. He was, he was in a drinking contest. The water, receded from the the shoreline and then all of a sudden it came back <laughs> that is that is funny because like that could be like oh well that's just thor you know like there's devastation all over the place but you know thor lost another dream contest yeah, and really quick i know we we can probably after i discuss the home of the dwarves with um Nidalvalar, and in some sources it's called Svartalfheim. um that's where the dwarves are the dwarves are like the best way to think about them is how jay or yeah is how tolkien portrayed them in the hobbit and the lord of the rings like stone, they are expert craftsmen. In fact, they created. Let's see, I put a list here. Except they can't. Um, they can't come out in the sunlight. Yeah, they turn to stone. Okay, that's one thing different from Tolkien, right? Yeah, actually, in Tolkien, the dwarves were fine, but then the, like the trolls or whatever, yeah. they they were the ones that in the Hobbit they they turn to stone. But they the dwarves made Mjolnir, which is Thor's hammer. They made the chain to bind Fenrir, one of uh, the third of Loki's kids. That that brought on Ragnarok. They brought they built Frey's ship called Skinblonder. Um, they created Gungnir, which is Odin's spear, Dropnir, which is Odin's ring. Uh, they created Fre- Freya's necklace, and they created Sif's golden hair. They also held they all hold up the worlds of Midgard, I believe it is. Um, and the dwarves that hold it up are north, south, east, and west. So they start sending their- these little creatures, like because you know the ones in the Hobbit are shorter than humans, right? Yeah. Then. And they sound like they're at least like human sized, maybe smaller than the gods, smaller than giants, right? But then they're holding up the corners of the world, right? So is that, I mean, I guess you, you don't have to be that large to be that strong, right? So that's something about just their, because they, they have this magical power besides just being able to craft things, right? Yeah. Or it could be similar to like the giants or Thor, like, you know, whatever helps the story go along, right. you know, the, the size of them can change drastically. It, you know, it's, it's strange to me, right? Because you would think you'd have the giants holding up the corners rather than the dwarves, but like you're saying, it makes yeah. it of unclear what type of beings are uh, any of these like i think the best way to describe them are like are not maybe like more so like demigods as opposed to gods but like they they're involved in a few of the stories like with loki and loki like sort of tricks them into making all the items that i just mentioned that uh, that ultimately benefit the gods let's see in in volaspa from the poetic edda there's a quote there stood in the north in nidaveller the golden hall of sindri's family and sindri is one of the dwarves that was responsible for creating Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. Yeah, the I, I made a note that that's the dwarf that Loki tricked. And I think there's somewhere in Norse mythology, the dwarves were maggots that ate remnants of the body of Ymir as well. So that's that's very they lovely. Be underground. But... That's why they got to be underground, right? And so at least the description I've seen of them is that they're they're ugly. They're like misshapen. They're kind of twisted. Is that fairly accurate from what you've seen? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and again, like I hope this isn't me just like thinking Tolkien got it right. But like my my understanding is that there's a reason why they're undergrounds. And you know, if you're a being that's underground, that's not gonna that's not gonna do so well for the skin. Um, but like I, yeah. I mean, no one yeah, I would imagine dark, if they're just working you. all day. I know. Do they have yeah. night vision? They can see in the dark. I mean, they have to or the. Or they use use magic or echolocation. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's it would have to be one of the two. I don't think the sources really describe yeah, how dwarves see, but that I mean, could be it, something that we write a fan fiction on. And well, it's like Dungeons 48. and Dragons. They have they have the the night vision. Also, the dwarves have night vision, so probably. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah. The humans have to carry around torches. All I got to join the next. <laughs> I got to join the next game that we play. 
I mean, we're going to tie all this stuff in this. That's the whole point I'm doing this podcast show. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, I, so, so that's, wait, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Up, yeah, if we're kind of wrapping up the dark elves, like finding a place to pause in the dark elves, what were you going to talk about next? Um, well, I, I, I just like in reading the stories, I do think that there's some, something to be said for the theory that some people had that the dwarves and the elves are the same being, but it sounds like Alfheim is going to be in the north part or like the upper tier of the nine worlds yeah. that you mentioned. Um, so we can talk about that when we come elves. back. But... Right. And that'll be the light elves. Um, so the one question I'll ask to kind of wrap up this uh, segment. So in, in Wagner's opera, it's the ring of the Nibelung. Do you ever see that term or is that like a different, is that like high German rather than Norse? Or? Nibelung rings a bell to be honest, but I don't yeah. know where I read it. But that's, I think that's their word for the the dark elves but they're very much like not clarifying if it's the dwarves or dark elves and so he's and, and i think this story it's based on the original norse myths so i'm wondering let me tell you a little bit of the story and see if you know which myth it's coming from yeah sure so basically the idea is that albrecht is a nibelung a dark elf and he sees some water nymphs swimming and he finds them very attractive and so this is one of the ideas of dark elves they are lusting after things gold and beauty and that i think some of them in some other stories like wanted not Odin's wife, but one of the gods of fertility, your goddesses. They wanted one of the beautiful goddesses of fertility to live with them. And they, you know, Odin had to trick him out of this. But anyways, in the opera that he sees these uh, nymphs and then they, he, and he tries to, you know, smooth talk them and they just make fun of him because he's, because he's ugly. He's disgusting. They just tell him off. And he's so hurt by it that he kind of swears that he will never love again. And he, he creates this ring out of, so they were like swimming around some gold. So he stole their gold. And he makes it into a ring and he imparts all of his hatred and bitterness that he'll never love anybody again into this ring. And it becomes a ring of power. And it's supposed to be kind of similar, I think, to Odin's ring that creates so much wealth that it could be a lot of power because there's also this pile of gold. And later there's a, a dragon guarding. But so that, that guy, Albrecht, being a dark elf, does that t- sound like anything you've read? Well, it sounds like you you did describe where Tolkien got a lot of his inspiration from <laughs> for The Hobbit. Um, that. It sort of rings a bell, but I don't know what story it would be. I do know that there's some story where the giants like are desperately trying to marry Freya, um, yeah. who is the brother the of giants, Freya. Yeah. So, so I might mix up the yeah the giants and dark elves in some of these stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that yeah, in in discussing Jodenheim, Jodenheim you could you could also yeah. discuss that story. But Freya is is and I think in one story, Sif, like who's Thor's yeah. wife, they are the objects of like desire for like giants, which also goes to show that like giants and the Aesir and like the Aesir and Vanir. And I, I want to say in one story with Nord, maybe in a giant and Vanir, they can all like intermarry and produce offspring. But yeah. I, I do know the giants, they, they, they lust after Freya, but I, I don't know what story the giants like made this ring. No, um, well, it was, it was the dark elves were supposed to make the ring, but you know, I, I think Wagner might mix up giants and dwarves as well because you know the the dwarves were clearly the great craftsmen but then the idea would be that the giants would have to be able to build something so large as um valhalla and so there's something where odin kind of trades some of these things to get his mighty castle built but i'm trying to remember now actually in the story if it's the nibelungs the dark elves building it or if it's the giants building it so that's i'll have to look back at that but i go back this was like probably i think 1800s if i remember so he's kind of Wagner is the connection from Old Norse myths to then Tolkien. <laughs> Rings Token, right? He's he's the prequel to Lord of the Rings, basically, and The Hobbit, and all of that. Yeah, that name that name definitely rings a bell, Nibelung. Um, so I'll have to look into that. But okay. this this goes into how I'm sure we're going to wrap up the second part of this episode. Uh, like a lot of these stories, like we are so desperate in our generation to like put together all the pieces to understand them. But you know, at what point do we just have to say, you know? like this person 1500 years ago didn't give a shit you know like they they only cared about what the message was from these stories and like what it means in their day-to-day life and 
if there is a seer or like a, um, you know, a shaman telling me stories like by a campfire, you know, at what point do, do we just like say, maybe like he just says the word giant or he says like with this guy's story, it's a giant with this person's story. It's like a, it's a dwarf or something like that. But like, we we're so desperate to put everything together and like understands like everything about like game of Thrones or like the MCU or something. At what point do we go back 1500 years ago and just say, Oh, well, you know, maybe it's like James Bond where there's no continuity at, at all. I'm thinking right, like and, the idea is this canon, right? And it's like, that's not, that's not a, a conversation we can even be having with Norse mythology, right? Like, or, yeah. But, and that's why so like, blame from like episode zero, right? Of the, of what is true, right? Is, yeah. Like, is Wagner feel true to you when if you get into the whole thing, right? It's, it doesn't mean it's actually exactly based on one of the things out of the poetic Edda, but he's inspired by it. And it's a story that sounds like, does that sound like some people's life, right? That somebody is a Nibelung and they're trying to talk to some water nymphs and they're spurned and they create some evil out of that, right? Like that's, maybe a thing that happens right and, uh, yeah and and also like you're what you are describing like with uh the, with Wagner like if you look at the modern day shows like the last kingdom or vikings you know that's just sort of like a continuation you could look at that as a continuation of what like Snorri did with the pro set on yeah like people are like oh well vikings isn't accurate like nobody can tell what's accurate and you know there's so much that Snorri probably got wrong and he there's so much that he probably just made up to like fit his christian narrative anyway that's that's like a conversation and like a theme that's yeah. going to come up i would imagine nonstop in this podcast I'll i guess i'll stop the recording here and then we'll start another recording later awesome sounds good